have room for more here. All right, Exodus chapter 19. The website says that the journey continues. I began in August, thinking that it might go a month or two. So here we are, only in chapter 19, but that's okay. Chapter 19, let's pray, and then we'll try to cover about eight verses today. And I don't think it's possible to cover more than that, so we'll just split this chapter into two. We're working up to the giving of the law. Father, we thank you for the freedom we have as Americans and as Christians to be in church. We pray that you bless as you assemble together, and we ask you to give us a blessing. Bless all that is taught today, all that is sung, and all that will be done in your name. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, chapter 19, verse number one, verse number two. In the third month, when the children of Israel were gone forth out of the land of Egypt, the same day came they into the wilderness of Sinai. For they were departed from Rephidim and were come to the desert of Sinai and had pitched in the wilderness and there Israel camped before the mount. So there are before Mount Sinai. And they're there, they're gonna be there for a while. And a lot of chapters in the Bible are devoted to this historical, from this chapter until uh, Deuteronomy, chapter, uh, Numbers chapter 10. So several, several years, many years are taken uh, here. And so three months after they leave the, uh, uh, Egypt, they come finally to Sinai. They've gone through a lot of experience, a lot of hardship, a lot of trials, a lot of complaining, and a lot of, uh, hunger pains and thirsty and all that and so now there's a point of debate about where Mount Sinai is now if you go to Galatians chapter 4 Paul gives his commentary upon where, where uh, Mount Sinai is let's turn over there Galatians chapter 4 three months of traveling now they're at the Sinai Peninsula or desert here's what Paul says about that Galatians chapter 4 and verse number 22 For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondmaid, the other by a free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman was born after the flesh, but he of the free woman was by promise. Verse 24, which things are an allegory, for these are the two covenants, the one from the Mount Sinai, Mount Sinai, that's where they had camped, or they are coming to camp, which generous to bondage, which is Agar. For this Agar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. So Paul says Sinai, Mount Sinai, where Moses, here, chapter 19, is in Arabia. So you can look at all the different uh, resources and you come to a divided opinion about where this really is. I think Paul's opinion is pretty weighty. Uh, look at this also. Um, uh, from here to Numbers 10, Somebody said, and I, I didn't verify this, but this is quite interesting because it shows the importance of coming here in chapter 19 to receive the law, the giving of the law, and carrying out the law, and camping there until they move on. Uh, somebody said this, which is quite, quite interesting. 57 chapters of the Bible is devoted to what happened to Israel from this month forward. 
which is to say a lot of history takes place over here. It's the beginning of a lot of history. A lot of things take place in the Old Testament. That's a lot of chapter, a lot of scripture given to this camping at Sinai. And so we're now at the place where the law will be given. This is the law of Moses. This is the law. This is called the dispensation of the law. And so a lot of the Old Testament is written during the period of the dispensation of the law. Now the Mosaic law, often called the just the law, uh, you have three parts to the law. How many remember what the three parts are to the law? The law, you have part one, part two, and part three. There's life in the hallways. What are the three parts of the law? Does anyone remember? Ceremonial. Okay. Ceremonial. I need to change pens because this one doesn't let me write well. Ceremonial. And then you have civil. And then you have the moral law. Well, this is a brand new pen. Can you believe this? Oh, boy. Things made in China. That's a brand new pen. I don't kid you. All right, civil law. So you have the moral, ceremonial, civil. This is the Ten Commandments. Then the ceremonial law. This is the rituals, the sacrificial system, all of that is involved. Then you have the civil law. This is the everyday uh, thou shalt not and so on. And a lot of it is about daily, uh, how to conduct yourself, how to behave yourself, penalties, punishments, and so on. And so laws to govern routine life. Ceremonial law, the sacrificial system, the moral law, the Ten Commandments. And so, now you need to remember when we talk about the law, that the law is not given as a pattern to copy in New Testament times for personal salvation. The mistake people make, the mistake people make is, they think that if they try to keep that, it'll aid in their personal salvation. If they do that, it'll aid in their personal salvation. If you do this, their goodness, their obeying the law, uh, not being a lawbreaker, all of that will aid to their personal salvation. That's a big mistake. It was not given to the whole world. It was given to the nation of Israel. And they specifically were to follow these commands because they're specifically separate unto God. Now, the laws are good. Uh, there's nothing wrong with the law. But it's not a pattern to use for personal salvation. So this is a very common mistake people make even today after all of these centuries. And so, as a matter of fact, turn to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. The law actually shows us not hope. It shows us our failure. It points out our inadequacy to fulfill and complete the laws. And it always makes us feel guilty. It doesn't relieve us of guilt. It helps us to feel a little bit discouraged, even hopeless, because we cannot fulfill the law. Galatians 3.24-26 says this, Wherefore the law, the Mosaic law, the law of Moses, dispensation of the law, wherefore the law was our schoolmaster. And you have to ask yourself, what is the schoolmaster? Well, it tells you right here, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us, a teacher brings a student to knowledge, education, perhaps wisdom, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ. Well, Christ was not in the Old Testament, except by symbolism, by typology. 
and uh, fulfilled in him when he came in the flesh to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by works by fulfilling the law that we might keep the moral law that we might keep the ceremonial the civil law the, no no it says by faith so verse 25 tells us but after that faith is come we are no longer under a schoolmaster the schoolmaster is defined as the law of Moses so once Christ came once the law was fulfilled in Christ you no longer need a schoolmaster verse 26 he emphasizes again Paul does for ye are all Jew and Gentile for ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus so the law is not wrong the law is hard. the law is good it has a focus it has a function it has a purpose it is not to cause someone to try to do the law to be saved it is to show that he cannot therefore you turn to Christ that's your only hope now turn to Colossians chapter 2 Colossians 2 and Galatians 3 go together and they are verses that connect and they give a whole picture about the purpose of the law and how the law cannot say it, yet Christ does and at the cross something ended at the cross something ended Colossians 2 13 14 and 15 all right Colossians chapter 2 verse number 13 tells us and you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh hath he quickened together with him having forgiven you some trespasses verse 12, 14 blotting out the handwriting of ordinances notice blotting out blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us which was contrary to us and took it out of the way nailing it to his cross in heaven's four principalities and powers he made a show of them openly triumphing over them in it so a spiritual victory over the devil as well and so the law was to bring us to christ and to show us our inability to follow it keep it for personal salvation but then it all ended at the cross and it is by faith that a man is saved however people today of course still try to go by the old testament regulation the rules to have personal salvation which can never take away sins but the cross of Christ did that's the big difference so anyone today uh, as far as uh, an application uh, from Exodus chapter 19 anyone today who tries to obey the law tries to keep the law tries to fulfill it uh, if they ever feel like I must do this I must obey the seventh command I must obey the first commandment for me to have a hope of salvation that naturally then lets you think they are going by the law of Moses which can never save it's a it's a really literally a dead end it's hopeless it's very hopeless and so people try to keep the law for salvation especially this one especially that one. that's the most popular one to try to keep the Ten Commandments uh, they may not be able to even tell you what they are but they will say I'm trying to keep the commandments which is a phenomenon right there you're trying to keep something that you're not even familiar with but yet this is your hope for eternal salvation I guess you would say people um, are spiritually blinded because they this is very illogical to try to do something that's not possible and so um, there's no assurance of salvation when someone's trying to keep the law why 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 is someone always at, e at, at, at an unrest in his soul in his heart 
when he's trying to keep the law for salvation? Why is he never sure that he will go to heaven one day? When they're trying to keep the law, why is it so hard for them to have peace? All right, let's take this big look here. You have the Ten Commandments, one through ten. Which one is more important than the other one? Well, you might say number one. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy soul, the mind, all thy soul. Okay, well, that's pretty heavy. That's pretty serious. That's pretty, it has a lot of weight there. It's there in number one. But then um, there's ten of them toward God and toward men. There are some thou shalt nots. So what if you did a thou shalt not? Thou shalt not lie. Um, there's a well-known evangelist who goes out in the streets and he confronts people and he has cameramen and Mike and records the conversations and he uses the law to show them that they're unable to keep it and he always says now have you ever lied and of course what can the interviewee say everybody lies everybody has lied now how many of you here have never lied Okay, if you raise your hand, you just lied again because everybody has in some way. We call some of them white lies. What's a white lie? It's not as serious as a gray lie or a black lie or a dark lie, but a lie is a lie, isn't it? How many times must you steal to be considered a thief? Just one time then you're a thief. So when you break these laws, uh, it's a very hopeless thing to try to overcome them. But a person who tries to obey these laws, they find it pretty impossible because everybody has a na nature that is flawed and uh, you lose your temper as soon as you think you're not gonna lose your temper. And uh, so Living Waters Man, what is his name? Ron, Ray Comfort? Ray Comfort. Yeah, I believe at one time he said his church had 1,000 adults in it. 1,000 adults. So like the Hebrew children, uh, 600,000 men, you add the wives and children. So Ray Comfort's ministry a few years ago, he said that we have 1,000 active Christians, 1,000 active adults. That's pretty impressive. And so he goes out and he's done it for decades and he confronts people with the law. And everything turns out, everyone has transgressed the law at some point. Therefore, it's impossible for someone to try to keep the law for salvation. It is not possible. But turn to Christ in faith, and you have assurance of eternal life. And so, because you never know if you've been done, if you've done enough, if you're good enough. That's why no one really knows for sure. Sometimes when they're trusting their works for salvation, they don't have assurance because they are all dependent on themselves. And you never know if you've done good enough. Um, Adrian Rogers says, I wouldn't trust for my salvation the best 15 minutes of my life. Which is to say, the best 15 minutes of his life is not good enough. That's a quite, quite an honest statement. Uh, so the law is needed for uh, law and order in a society, law and order uh, to settle daily disputes, to have a standard to go by, to punish the unjust, and to protect those who are just. Uh, Exodus 19, verse number 3. 19.3. So here we are at Mount Sinai. They've camped there. They've stopped uh, moving about for a period of time. And in verse number 3 and 4, it says this, And Moses went up unto God, and the Lord called unto him out of the mountain, saying, 
Thus shalt thou say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, Ye have seen what I did unto the Egyptians, and how I bare you on eagles' wings, and brought you unto myself. Now Moses leaves the camp, he leaves the elders, he walks by himself, and he heads up north. He, head, he ascends up the mountain. I have a question. Uh, how did he know where to walk? How did he know a trail to take if there was a trail? Was there a trail? How did he know where to go? He went up the mountain to meet with God, but uh, he'd never been there before, or had he? Well, I know one thing. If this was him walking up to meet God, and he never had been there before, what principle do you go by to help explain how he knew where to go? If he, or, or the other thought is, he just walked north and went upward, and God's going to meet him wherever he ended up. Well, that could be too. But in Psalm 37, 23, it says this, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. Well, I guess that means that when Moses went up, he went to the right place. So we don't know where he went. We didn't look at a, a route or trail. He, we just know he went up as he was supposed to. And the Lord called unto him out of the mountain, saying, uh, there's a good lesson right here. As he went up to meet with God, guess what he ran into? Guess who he ran into? As he walked up the mountain to meet with God, to get the law, he met the Lord. You know what James talks about? James says, draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. So when you head in the direction you know you need to go to, to be close to the Lord, away from the people, then you will be sure that he will meet with you. And so when did God speak to Moses? Uh, we don't know when. At what point as he ascended? Don't know when. Uh, at what elevation? It doesn't say. Now, when the Bible doesn't say some things, you can speculate, you can wonder about it, which is normal. But if you don't have an answer, it's okay. What you derive from that unknown is what is the point? What is the point of the verses? If it's unclear, maybe God didn't give details on purpose. So he ascended up the mountain. We don't know where, how he decided where to go. Which part of the mountain range? But he went up, and what's important to understand from this account is that he went up to meet with God, and when he did that, uh, the Lord met with him. So, look at verse number four. Moses goes up, God comes down. Isn't that interesting? Moses goes up, God comes down. Verse four, ye have seen, the Lord speaks to him, ye have seen what I did unto the Egyptians, and how I bear you on eagles' wings, and brought you unto myself. Now, the Lord always takes opportunity to talk about what he has done. Now, for a man to do that, for a woman to do that, it could be because they have done a good job and they're proud of their accomplishments. There's something very good about that, really. Sometimes we can criticize people unfairly by saying, oh, they're proud because they did this, and they say, look what I did. Well, sometimes if you work hard and do something right, you should be acknowledged for that because you put out an effort and you did the right thing. You bid the laws and you fulfill whatever was required to make a uh, do a job complete and do it well. And you brought pleasure to those who did it for. That's good. Uh, you should not feel, uh, have a false humility about you and say, well, no, I didn't do that. God did everything. Well, we understand what that means. But uh, Moses confronts with the Lord. The Lord tells him, the Lord tells him, ye uh, have seen what I did unto the Egyptians. Now the Lord again takes opportunity to talk about what he has done because he is not proud. He's not, as we humans can become arrogant and cocky and self-sufficient. 
God is saying, I can do that because I could do that. I did that because I have the power to do that. Look what I did, Moses. Now, Moses knew what God did. God always takes opportunity to repeat what he has done for the people. I wonder why. Why would someone repeat something? Even though it's evident that they did it. Why would someone repeat it? Why would someone have memorials? Why do you have World War II memorials? Why do you have special national holidays to remember what they did at uh, D-Day, at Normandy? Why do you have these days of remembrance? Can you give us a reason why people have these memorials, holidays, remembrances? Why did the Jews have a Sabbath day? Well, the answer is pretty obvious, isn't it? Even though you won't tell me. The answer is obvious. I hope your brain's engaged in thinking because if you don't have days of remembrance, if you don't have reflection, you don't have a time to pause in a busy life to stop and remember some things, you're going to forget them. And when you forget them, you get distant from the event or the person that did something great for you. That's why it's good to remember anniversaries, which I'm not a real good anniversary rememberer <laughs> or birthday rememberer. I sometimes ask my wife, whose birthday is it this month? Now it's not that it's not that I don't think that the person's birthday is unimportant. It's just that I've been like that since I was one year old, I guess, but I don't remember. It's it's a lifelong bad habit. So remembrance says, God says, remember what I did for you because he never wants Moses even. Is there to ever forget what he did for them and for him? And the people were told in Deuteronomy that the, the head of the house, the father was to write these things on the walls of the house that have pictures, have signs, have things to remember visually what God has done. Okay? Because we are forgetful people. The Hebrews were forgetful people and New Testament Christians can become very forgetful as well. Now, what things can you do to remember and not forget? What can you do to remember important things that God has done for you and not forget them? Well, uh, since you're not going to tell me, I'll tell you. You probably know this. I'm going to repeat to you what you're probably already thinking, okay? So let me assume that and be nice. If you are thinking this, I'll tell what you're thinking, okay? I'll tell what you're thinking. Some things to do to remember what God has done for you. Number one. You pray about it. You pray about things. You remember what God has done for you. Number two, uh, you go to church so that you remember things that God said in the Bible and remind you about things that he has done for you in your life. Number three, um, you have some Christian fellowship so that you talk about things of the Lord and then what he's done for you, what they've done, and, and, and he's done for them. And you, get, you remember again, uh, I belong to God who takes care of me. Okay? So all of these things are practical things that you do reading your Bible one of the healthiest things you can do is to read your Bible and mark your Bible mark your Bible underline Bible words highlight Bible words and verses that'll help you either reinforce to you what God has done for you so learn the Bible read it and look at yourself and say oh God did that for me okay? now I want you to come to 1 Samuel 12 1 Samuel chapter 12 And verse 24. 
Sammy addressed to the people, the Jews, Israel, the Hebrews, and actually begin at verse number, verse number 19. Verse number 18. Begin at verse number 18. Now look at the main point of this passage, which is, remember. So Samuel called unto the Lord, and the Lord sent thunder and rain that day. Who is in control of the weather? God is. So Samuel called unto the Lord, and the Lord sent thunder and rain that day. And all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. And all the people said unto Samuel, Pray for thy servants unto the Lord thy God, that we die not. So God sent natural disaster to scare the life out of them. And that's what they needed because they're acting up. For we have added unto all our sins this evil to ask the king. And Samuel said unto the people, Fear not, ye have not done all this wickedness, or ye have done all this wickedness, yet turn not aside from following the Lord. So you're right, you're guilty. I'm not going to excuse you for that. You are telling the truth. But turn aside not from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. So he tells them, okay, you, you're really bad, but don't, don't stay there. Don't give up there. Instead, get right. You're wrong, but get right. And when Christians are wrong, they should get right, not stay wrong and, and run away from God. But serve the Lord with all your heart, verse 21, and turn you not aside, for then should you go after vain things, which cannot profit nor deliver, for they are vain. For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake, because it hath pleased the Lord to make you his people. Moreover, as for me, God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you, but I will teach you the good and the right way. Verse 24, only fear the Lord and serve him in truth with all your heart, for consider, consider, think about this, remember this, consider how great things he hath done for you. So, Samuel tells the people, look, you need to stop thinking crazy, stop thinking foolishly, and just stop remember who you are. You're a great people, you're God's people, and remember what God has done for you, and remember who he is to you, and be faithful to him. So remembering and not forgetting is a very important part. So Moses was up in the mountain, God meets with him, and uh, God talks to him, and we are in verse number four, ye have seen what I did unto the Egyptians. God is saying, remember what I did for you. Remember what I did for the people. Never forget it. How I bear you on eagle's wings. Now, did God really carry them on eagle's wings, literally? Well, that's a metaphor. That's a figure of speech to express to you the power and strength of God. He bore them on eagle's wings. I have read somewhere that little eaglets, baby eagles, not baby um, ducks or baby uh, chickens, but uh, baby eaglets, they will latch on with their talons onto the back of their mother, mama eagle, and the eagle take off and fly. Well, the eaglets are flying, they're, they're rising in the air, going however high they go, and they're flying around things, and they're hanging on for sure, but they're flying because of the strength of the mother's wings. So the expression and the metaphor is real good, real plain, eagle's wings. Um, they're taking off, they're going high, they're not getting high, they're going high. That was a sad joke. They're not getting high, they're going high. And so God is saying to them, 
that imagery of an eagle bearing eaglets is like God, the eagle, he bore you, Israel, through the Red Sea. He took you out on his strength. That's the whole point. It's the eagle strength. The wings of an eagle are very powerful. As a matter of fact, um, uh, turn to Deuteronomy chapter 32. Deuteronomy 32. There's a reference to an eagle and the wings of an eagle. 32 verse number 11. Verse 10. He found him, Jacob, in a desert land and in the waste howling wilderness. He led him about. He instructed him. He kept him as the apple of his eye. And that's about God taking care of the Hebrews in the wilderness. Verse 11. As an, as an eagle stirreth up her nest, fluttereth over her young, spreadeth abroad her wings, her wings, taketh them, bearing them on her wings. So the Lord alone did lead him, and there was no strange God with him. He made him ride on the high places of the earth, and so on. Now go back to um, Exodus. Here you find a reference about how the Lord, like an eagle's wings, Carried them through. In other words, God is saying, remember what I did for you. Remember, it was me that did it for you. Remember that. And uh, does not the Lord delight in me getting praise? Yes. And that's an example of that. Now, practically speaking, uh, when the Christian, when you become very weary spiritually, you're tired of running the race that is set before you. You're tired of walking for the Lord because it seems like you're the only one. No one else really cares. What verse do you turn to to receive strength? It's in the Old Testament. I'll give you a clue right on the board here. That's the Bible book. That's the chapter. You tell me the rest. Take a guess. Anybody want to take a guess? Isaiah 40, okay. Isaiah 40. I cheated because I put a little post-it on my Bible page so I can turn to it faster. So I win. Isaiah 40. Isaiah 40. Isaiah 40. Come to verse number 28. This is a good verse for the Christian. It's a good verse for Israel. Isaiah 40, verse 28. Let me read, and when I come to pause, read the next word, okay? I want to emphasize the verses. Hast thou not known, hast thou not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of all the earth, next word is, fainteth not, neither is, there is no searching of his understanding. He giveth to the and to them that have no, he increases strength. Look at verse 30. Even the, the youths who think they're all powerful, even the youths shall and be, and the young men shall utterly, because they get weary. Verse 31. But they that 
upon the shall there and they shall mount up with as let me back up again they shall mount up with as they shall mount up with as okay now you're not flapping very high over here buddy you're kind of like still on the ground I need to have some enthusiasm here and they shall mount up with as eagles okay more better they shall they shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not change. Okay, do you get the picture here? Like an eagle has strong wings to carry Israel through, protect them, carry them. He's strong enough to do that. For the Christian, he also is strong enough to give you strength when you're weak, when you're weary, when you're faint, when you feel like just giving up, when you feel like just, uh, you know what? He says, I will give you strength. You wait upon me. I will give you strength. I don't get weary like young people get weary. I don't get tired like you get tired spiritually. I don't feel like, oh. He says, I will give you strength so that you can mount up with wings as eagle to do what? To continue walking with the Lord. Okay? Now, remember that verse. Memorize those verses. As a matter of fact, can we have a class project? Give me a class project. Let's have a class project. Your assignment is, your assignment is to read, not to memorize, but to read Isaiah, write it down somewhere, please. Isaiah 40, verse number 28 to verse 31. 28, 29, 30. I want you to read these one, two, three, four verses. I want you to read these four verses once a day for one week, seven times in a week, even today. Read it before you go to bed. Read it sometime. Read it in the morning. It doesn't matter. Read these verses one time a day for five days, for seven days, for seven days. So you read it seven times now. If you want to get more out of it, read it twice a day. Twice a day. Morning, afternoon, or morning and evening. Read it twice a day. So 14 times. And see what it does to encourage you. So your assignment, everyone, is to read Isaiah 40, verse 28. I'm going to write it down so I can... I can test you. Now, I will fine you. I will penalize you. Next Sunday when I ask you who read it once a day, if your hand did not come up, I'll penalize you. I will fine you. I will charge you something. You will owe me a Hershey almond candy bar. All right? So Isaiah 40, 28 through 31. Okay? once a day and if you do it twice a day 14 times a week i will owe you wait a minute i'm going too far now i will owe you i don't know what i'll have to ask joseph for some insight about what i could owe you okay are you all clear about what to do yes once a day beginning today isaiah 40 28 through 31 read it once a day okay if you don't next week i'm going to ask and if you did not do it, you owe me a Hershey candy bar. I know what you're going to say. I'll, I'm planning to be sick next week. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, kind of joking here, but read it. So God says, I've carried you on eagle's wings. A great metaphor about his strength, his power to take care of them. Look at verse number four. I need to hurry. Isaiah, uh, not Isaiah, but Eze not Ezekiel. 
Exodus, Exodus chapter 19, 19, verse number 4. Ye have seen what I did unto the Egyptians. Yes, he did. And how I bear you on eagles' wings, and brought you unto myself. Notice that part of that verse, the ending part, brought you unto myself. Do you know why God redeemed them? Why did God deliver them from bondage in Egypt? He did not deliver them just to leave them out in the desert to wander on their own. He delivered them from the bondage in Egypt after all of these centuries, after 40, 50 years, so that he could have fellowship with them, so that he could have closeness with them, so they could fellowship with him, with his people. He didn't just say, I want to deliver you so that you go out to the wilderness and you're on your own now. You have your own life to live. No. So now listen carefully because this is a picture of personal salvation and what to do after you're saved. So bondage from Egypt, in Egypt, a picture of salvation, uh, deliverance, a picture of uh, slavery to sin. God delivered them out of Egypt through the Red Sea, a picture of salvation, faith in Christ. Now they're moving on into the wilderness. Okay, that's a picture of the Christian life now. You're now walking with the Lord. You're supposed to be close to Him. And so he brought them unto himself. And so he calls Egypt out of he calls Israel out of Egypt for himself because he wants to fellowship with them. Uh, fellowship has several layers. There's several layers of fellowship. Number one, you can fellowship with someone, it's a casual fellowship. Hi, how are you? I'm fine, okay, bye. See you later. Talk to you tomorrow. It's a very casual fellowship. You have no real animosity or hatred toward that person. You're your friends in a from in the distance. There's no real personal talk there. That's one level of fellowship, casual. Number two, there's personal fellowship where you talk about your work to this person, talk about your family maybe, about ideas, about uh, the job position and everything. But it's not right. It's not really quite personal talk. It's not about your family. It's not about problems at home. It's about just work. It's about, you know, can I do this better? Or, or how are you doing? Really? Oh, I hope you feel, you know, that kind of, kind of stuff. So it's a little bit better than casual. It's now personal. But then there's intimate there's intimate fellowship. What does intimate fellowship mean? It means there's something personal, very personal, between two people. And uh, this is like a, a husband or wife whispering to each other's ear. And the husband says, I love you. And she says, I love you too, but can you hear me? And he says, I can't hear you. And you said, why can't you hear me? And he said, I don't know. And she says, let me see, because you have too much wax in your ears. That's why you cannot hear me. But that's kind of talk between two people that nobody else needs to know about. That's intimate talk, okay? So what you say to your wife and your husband, I don't, we, we don't need to know what you're talking about, okay? What you're talking to your kids, well, you know, that's personal too. And so intimate fellowship is what God wants. Uh, heart talk, bearing the heart, uh, full disclosure is what people say. And that's what God wanted for Israel, full disclosure between heart and heart. He wanted to have them intimate with him. That's why he delivered them so that they can walk with him on this life journey. And so when you got saved, you didn't get saved just to be on your own. Oh, I'm going to go to heaven one day. That's wonderful. Yeah, you said that's great. Yeah, but then you're on your own until you get there. No, you've been delivered from sin. Now you continue walking with him. You can, and the, the walk is supposed to be more intimate, from casual to personal to a very intimate fellowship with him. So you talk to him about things that's on your mind, on your heart. Some of, some of these things are so intimate, nobody else ought to know about it. And sometimes you share prayer requests with other trusted Christians, and that's healthy. But there's some things you don't want to share because it's just too personal. 
but you share it with the Lord, see? And so infinite fellowship, and so um, deliverance from bondage uh, so that they can have fellowship with God. And that's where you are. You've all been saved. You've all been delivered from sin at different points in your life. And we're all different. different. You've been saved five years. You've been saved 10. You've been saved 30 years, so on. Saved, you know, a short time. Whatever it is, you're now in a journey through a wilderness called this world. And you're supposed to walk close to God and not forget Him. Okay? Separation then is from something to something. So then right on the board here, separation from Egypt, coming out, out of, from, to, to, see? So out of, from, to something. So when God saved you, He saved you from something to go somewhere. See? So that's the progress that you see of the Christian life in Exodus right now. It makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? So if you think about it, your life is on a journey. You're on a journey. You're walking with God now until you get to heaven. Now, Canaan is not heaven, but it's it's the idea is kind of kind of there. In other words, until you get to heaven, you're going to walk with the Lord, see, in the meantime. And so... Uh, from something to something. And so God wanted the Hebrews' allegiance, their heart, their devotion, did not want a divided heart. Is God a jealous God? The Bible says so. God is a jealous God, which is to say, clarification. When, when people say, oh, you're just jealous, what does that mean? You're just jealous. That's a, sometimes a very petty, you know what, you're being childish, jealousy. You're like a teenager, jealousy. And uh, did you look at him? Yeah. Why'd you look at him? Because he's talking to me. Am I going to talk to someone like this? Why were you talking to him? Because he's my boss. She's my boss. We're just talking. And see, someone like that who's jealous, they're petty. They're immature, okay? Really. So that's not what God is talking about. When he says I'm a jealous God, he's saying, you're mine, and you're supposed to love me like I love you. So you need to ratchet up your love to me like I love you. And so I'm jealous because you're mine, and I'm going to take care of you. You're mine forever. Therefore, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm protective of you. Uh, my devotion, your devotion should be toward me. Uh, the way to understand it better is to, you know, think of husband and wife. Uh, husband and wife, uh, they are devoted to each other, supposedly, or supposed to be. Now, um, if, if a person is dating, if a person is dating, he may have in his mind freedom to date many women. Okay? If he's of dating age. Now, if you're 15, 16, 17, 18, you're not of dating age. If you're 19, you're not of dating age. Okay? Dating age is supposed to be preparatory for perhaps marriage. So if you're not prepared to marry, then uh, you should not date anybody. Sometimes people want to get married. Uh, they want to date to get married, but uh, they didn't have the income to support a wife. They have a paper route. They cannot support a wife on a paper route or on a fast food income. You know, in California, they just raised their minimum wage to $20 an hour in 2014. Governor Newsom, crazy man, because he says it's going to help people. No, no, no. Minimum wage jobs is to help you to learn how to work entry level. It's not intended for you to pay a mortgage off your minimum wage. But people don't think. And people say, oh, wonderful man. 
not a wonderful man. Now all your price at McDonald's could be much higher. It's going to go up. It's going to go up. It's going to go up. What was I saying? Um, so uh, if husband should be devoted to each other and they don't, they don't look at other women, look at other men, and learn to have affection toward them. It's not possible anymore because devotion should be like that. That's what God wanted from Israel. All right, so separation from something to something. God is a jealous God in a right way, in a righteous way. And uh, go back to 19, verse 5 and 6 quickly. 19 of Hebrews, I mean uh, Exodus, verses 5 and 6. Now therefore, if you obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. Now, that verse can cause people to have heartburn because it shows favoritism. It shows that not everyone is the same in God's eyes. But peculiar people, peculiar treasure unto me above all other people, of all people. That means, that means um, God has favored Israel because, just because, because he can and because he did. And people would say, well, that's not fair. Well, it seems like that to them, but God is always fair to remember that. And uh, you shall be unto me a kingdom of priests, a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. Now, a, a kingdom of priests, they are to be a peculiar people, a very unique people, a very special people. Uh, they are a peculiar treasure unto him, a chosen people. Now, how are they a chosen people, a peculiar treasure unto them, unto God? Number one. Because they are a kingdom of priests. A priest is someone who intercedes on behalf of other people to God. In a way, Israel was like that. Israel was a representation of the true God on earth to the heathen nations. So when they saw them worshiping, sacrificing, all that, it would cause them to be interested. What's going on? Why are you doing this? Why don't you do things like us? Oh, because worship the true God of, you know, the, the, the. and so they are to represent like a priest as a mediator between the Gentile nations and the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's why they're a peculiar treasure. Number two, they are a holy nation with the rituals and sacrifices and laws to keep, feast days and holidays, honoring and worshiping God, untangled from the rest of the pagan world around them. Uh, John 17, 5 says this, I pray not that thou shouldst take them out of the world, but that thou shouldst keep them from the evil. So they are separated people because they belong to God and they live in this world, not participating, not getting entangled with the things of this life so that they can be a pure image of the true God. And then also, and also, um, you also see that they're a peculiar treasure, and this is also how we as a church can adapt some of the principle here. So for example, the New Testament church is supposed to be a peculiar treasure unto God too. It is supposed to be a peculiar people. Uh, we're not priests in the sense of like the Catholic church where you have to come to man in a confession booth and go to a priest. No, no, not in that sense, but we're a spiritual priesthood. We're called a royal priesthood according to the Apostle Peter. And uh, Bible-believing Christian and Bible-believing church, how do we display holiness? There's supposed to be a whole nation. How do we display holiness? Well, I'll give you three things real quickly. Number one, here's how a New Testament church or the individuals, all the church can be holy people like they were to be holy people unto the Lord in their time. Number one, a close walk with God. A close walk with God. Like father, like son. As you walk with Christ, then it will reflect in your life. Number two, a clean heart. A clean heart. Psalm 19, 14 tells us, Let the word of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. 
So the heart is to stay right, great to have a clean, uh, clean heart and a close walk with God. And also in constant vigilance, three C's, vitamin C. The first C is, I have to look. The first C to have a, uh, to be a peculiar treasure unto God is to have a close walk with the Lord, clean heart, and a constant vigilance. Here's the constant vision in verse. 1 Peter 2.11 Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from, abstain from, that's vigilance, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. And so these are some applications you can take from the New Testament church that was given to Israel to practice. They are peculiar people, peculiar treasure. It's a treasure. How do you guard a treasure? You have a, if you have a treasure, do you put it on the sidewalk? Do you put it in a safe place? Do you have a safety deposit box? Well, that's where you put documents or whatever it is that's valuable to you that you hope will never get stolen from you. You pay the fee and you put it there and it's only you can get it. You have the key. You're authorized and just you. <coughs> because it's a peculiar treasure unto you. If something is valuable to you, you take care of it. You don't just treat it casually. Uh, when I was a kid at Castle, I borrowed my sister's big boombox. Sony boombox. It wasn't really a boombox. It was a mini boombox. It was only about that long. Two speakers and the unit itself. And I put it in a, I put uh, in a, I carried it in a, it wasn't that big. I put it in a Pan American bag. Pan American, Pan American Airlines. Pan American bag. Put it there. Lunchtime, you had tables all on the side of, side of covering of a building where everybody put their bags and things like that. We didn't really have backpacks, but we had Pan American bags. I put the, my sister's chair over there. I begged her to me bar ticket to school because it was cool. She said, no, someone's going to steal that. I said, no, I'm going to watch it. Time for lunch. I have to choose. Carry that with me or carry two plates of lunch. Well, I put no straps, so I put it up on the table with all the rest of the stuff, and I, I'm, I'm, like, I'm in line like this. As we move closer to the pay quarter for lunch, I keep doing like that. Okay, get the lunch line, get get my food. I eat two plates of lunch. I walk back out, get from the next class. I look over there. My heart sank. I looked in the direction where that table was. I looked to see where that bag was, that blue Panamax bag. It was gone. What can I do? I say, hey, anybody here saw a blue Panamax bag? Well, there's a lot of them around. Anybody saw staring? Everybody goes like this. I hate when people do that because of that. <laughs> I hate people. I don't know. They all did that. And I knew I was going to go home. She's going to get on my case. She's going to beat me up. And so uh, it was a peculiar treasure to her. I didn't take care of it. Now, you are a peculiar treasure unto God. He's going to take care of you. And he's going to protect you by insulating you from dangerous things in this world. If you just obey him and follow him, you'll be protected. And so you are like a holy nation. Uh, I'm going to dispense with this one over here, 19, 7, and 8. And Moses called the elders of people and laid before their faces all these words which the Lord commanded him. And the people answered him and said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Now, notice three things here before we finish up for this uh, 10 30 lesson, 9 30 lesson. Moses went up to the mountain, talked to God, God talked to him. Moses comes down the mountain. Now Moses tells the people what God told him. The people respond to him positively. All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Now two things to pass into. Number one, when, when Moses heard from God, when Moses heard from God, 
he received that message. He went down to the elders, gave it to them, and they took that to heart. If you draw nigh to God, he will draw nigh to you. Okay? So you need to make that effort to climb that mountain to draw nigh to God. Number two, what God tells you, you pass on to others. Now, Moses was a shepherd. He was like a pastor. So God tells a message, gives a message from the Bible to a pastor, and he gives it out to the people. So what God gave him, he gives them. Now, their job was to receive what he gave them, which came from God. Do you see the pattern here? So, in this case, the people said something like this. That was good. All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Now, we know they didn't do it. We know they didn't do it. Their history was up and down. Yes, we'll follow God. Uh, yes, we'll follow God. Uh, up and down, up, like on a seesaw. But look, here's the lesson to learn from that as we finish for today. Though they would fail often, at this point, they said, we'll do everything God said to do. They meant it. They meant it. They were sincere about that, but they would fail. Their flesh was weak. Look, here's what you learn from this. Just because somebody has not done the right thing, even though they said, I'm doing the right thing, don't crush them because they fail. You, you accept them for, I want to do the right thing. Okay, good. Hopefully you, you continue. They do, but then they fail. What do you do with that? Oh, man, I knew that's going to happen. Now, if you think like that, you are a, you are a Pharisee. You're a critical, ultra-critical Christian. If you say, yeah, I knew that's going to fail. When you talk like that, you're saying, I'm not going to give them another chance. But did God give yours another chance? Answer the question. Did God give them another chance? How many times? How many times? How many times? <laughs> Do you know what you're reading here? You're reading about a God who says, I expect this from you. Now live up to it. We will. Then they fail. The Lord may have chastised them. Well, you know what he did? Okay, let's start over again. You know what that is? That's mercy. The God who is very strict and firm and, and almost even harsh, it seems, was also very merciful. So when you fail, confession, acknowledge that you failed, and then do the right thing. And when others fail you, and don't say, I knew it. Just look at yourself and how God has forgiven you. Ah, uh, book of Exodus, so good, so practical, so necessary to have today. All right, now, uh, we're all in the same canoe, all right? We're on the same, uh, what are we in the same in? We're in the same canoe, we're in the same, and so, you know, you know, have, have, have some, uh, have some God thoughts about these matters in your life and lives of other people. And so we continue next time, finish up with chapter 19 and on to get into the law. All right, any questions? Sorry, no time for answers.